On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to see a man brought to trial and accused of being a plague to society. The accused will defend himself and accuse the accusers. What will the verdict be? What do you think about that, Paul? I like it. <laughs> Welcome to today's Truth Factor discussion. We are in Acts 24. Everything we just mentioned is going to be found there. And Paul will be directing our studies today. There's just three of us, Paul, Tom, and I, and it'll be a real simple study. So, Paul, if you would, let me turn this over to you and let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. If you're looking for us on YouTube or Facebook, you might look for Truth Factor Live. And also, we are on Twitter. If you choose to look at that, I don't think you can see the live broadcast, but you can interact with us that way at Truth Factor Live as well. If you want to send us a question, send that to questions at truthfactor.live or questions at truthfactor.com. Actually, it's truthfactorlive.com. Ah, truthfactorlive.com. I yeah. apologize. Let me correct that. Just so uh, erase that, that uh, email address out of your memory. Truthfactorlive.com. That's questions at truthfactorlive.com. And we'd love to hear from you and, and would love to be able to interact. And as you make comments or you ask questions, We'll try to engage with you during the course of our study. If you do that, uh, one of the very easiest ways is on the YouTube page. There's a chat built into that. Or on the truthfactor.com page, look at Truth Factor uh, live viewing page. Or you can even uh, do that on Facebook and make a comment on that video. And we'll try to introduce those as we go along and as we, <clears throat> pardon me, as we study together today. And so is there anything else, gentlemen, as we get started? Um, the only thing to mention is that this is episode 274, episode 274, and we are, we are now using Zoom as our means of uh, conferencing. We had been using Google Hangouts since the beginning. We've been doing this for five years, and it wasn't long after Google Hangouts began that we started using it for this particular purpose. And so, um, I'm doing a screen capture right over, right over here, and, um, so it had the extra stuff up on the screen. That's why you saw stuff floating around Paul's head. <laughs> I was trying to get it out of the way. Um, and then on my other monitor, which is over that way, is where the Bible program resides. So anyway, it should look a lot better. Zoom handles itself in a more suitable fashion than Hangouts. Um, Hangouts had been done great for a long time, but there it's in the sunlight days, twilight days, if you would. So go ahead, Paul. Oh. I was just going to mention that uh, we certainly enjoy when Brian is part of this study and Brendan and Mike, yeah. and I'm not sure who are those, the others who have been pretty regular recently. Recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, but uh, just to take note that the three of us, uh, John Duvall, Tom Thornhill and myself, Paul Adams, we were the original three that began with the truth factor discussion. Uh, See? I believe. Is that, is that right? That's right. Now, if I can, I'll, I'll share it, but it'll mess up the um, the nice prettiness of it. There we are. All three Limitation of, of my sharing options, though. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I just thought I'd mention that. And so uh, we've stuck with this. And certainly, though, we do miss the other guys that have come along. Uh, there's some have come and left. And, and currently, uh, Brian and Brendan and Mike, uh, we really uh, benefit from them when they can study with us. But today we're going to be studying in Acts 24, and as, as we see there that was mentioned by John, that we're going to see uh, Paul on trial. And as we see Paul on trial, we're going to uh, see some very fundamental historic facts about this and uh, some of the shrewdness with which Paul interacts and some of the tactics uh, which those accusers of his will use. And we'll take a look at that as we study through uh, Acts chapter 24. And we'll begin reading verses 1 through 9. Tom, you want to read Acts 24, 1 through 9. Okay, so what we have here, we read that after, uh, now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain order named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, 
We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, you yourself, or yourself, you will, you may ascertain that all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. A very interesting accusation here that's made against Paul. And I thought it would be good for us as we think about this. Uh, well, uh, actually, I had a chat room question for us. And I can see if I can grab that quickly, unless someone else was doing that, uh, and drop it into uh, the uh, YouTube chat. Uh, but the question that I had for the for the chat room, and I know that Gregor is out there today. Uh, can you think of any reason that they may have wanted to wait five days? They kept Paul captive. I read a little bit about this, and maybe you have some ideas as well, and certainly would like to see your answer, hear your answer to that question. Uh, can you think of any reason uh, to wait five days? And so we'll we'll take a look at that and come back to that here in a moment. Uh, um, John and, and Tom, as we look at this, I've seen about the key characters, the people in this chapter that we ought to be able to know who they are and what's going on. Uh, who is Felix? One of you gentlemen want to take that? Felix is just simply described, he's, he's described as a governor, and, and he's in Caesarea, and uh, uh, let's see, I believe he, yeah, no, he, he's the governor at this time as all these events take place in Jerusalem, and so he's overseeing the whole region. Uh, that's right, and apparently his rule is a temporary one. We read later in this chapter about the end of his rule and about another one who would secede him. And so uh, we do see that. We see a man named Ananias. Uh, it says here about Ananias, I'll just mention that he was the high priest. Probably Ananias was somewhat of a common name. And uh, that we read about other another Ananias, at least one other in the scripture. Uh, but uh, he was the high priest there. Uh, John, uh, we have someone there. Uh, and I would say that his name ought to be pronounced Tertullus, maybe Tertullus. I don't know. But uh, what do we read about him there? Well, the turtle man, Tertullus, or however you would pronounce it, says he was a certain orator, is uh, how the text refers to him. And it's interesting, you have a grouping here, the high priest, who you've already talked about, Ananias, they came down with the elders and an orator, and a certain orator. And I figure it was his job, kind of like an attorney would make an argument, it's probably going to be his job, maybe, unless he's serving as a witness, to make the argument before the leaders there. I think that's right. Uh, and and he uses some flowery language and uh, we see some of the, the tactics he uses. But it also comes across in Luke's recording of this for us just how uh, good a speaker he really is. Uh, just because someone's a good speaker, uh, and I suppose we talk about truth factoring moments. I didn't include a lot of those in, in this discussion, but just because someone's a good speaker does not make them right. And so I think that's really, uh, really a important thing there. Uh, we also have the Apostle Paul there, and certainly as an apostle, as a preacher, one who's been uh, arrested because of the uh, teaching that he's doing. And uh, Tom, we'll come back to you. How about Lysias? Alysius is, uh, he's described as the commander, very likely the commander from Jerusalem who rescued Paul. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, he is the one who has escorted Paul to Caesarea to ensure that he, ensure that he arrived safely and delivered him. To, yeah, to he's not on site yet. Uh, he may have brought him, but they have to wait for him to be called in uh, later, or at least that is uh, Felix. Uh, feel it's his excuse. So what is the accusation that we see here? As I look here, uh, it, he talks, uh, and, and I'll kind of 
talk about this, what Tertullus says about him. And after he uh, flatters Felix a little bit, uh, he talks about that he's a plague. This is in verse 5. He's a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader in the New King James is the word that's used, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He tried to profane the temple. Uh, and so we have multiple accusations. Do you have a summary word that either of you might think that would summarize the kind of uh, accusation this is? I, I would call it gross exaggeration. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of uh, what what crime is being described. John, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say it's essentially a false charge, but they're basically accusing him of disrupting their worship within the temple and, and profaning the very thing that they were supposed to be doing to worship their God. That's right. I, I think that's right. Every way he says here, uh, I kind of described it as disturbing the peace. Uh, oh. He's a plague. He creates dissension. He's yeah. a ringleader. He tried to profane the temple. He's just stirring up trouble. We don't want trouble. And uh, I think we know from reading other trials, both in the life of Christ and in uh, Acts, that as we look at that, we would understand that one thing that the regional leaders, uh, like Agrippa and, and others, that one thing that they really did not want is to have trouble. They did not want a report going to Rome, uh, to the Caesar, to the emperor, uh, that they were having and allowing trouble in their region. And Paul here is disturbing the peace. He's a troublemaker in their occasion. Now, both of you said that, John, you said it was a false charge. And Tom, you said it was a gross exaggeration. Uh, there might be uh, some truth to it. He is stirring things up, uh, certainly with a very, very good reason. Uh, and so uh, as you look there, how would you, uh, as you look at this, uh, how would you say that it's exaggerated or it's a false accusation? Well, let me, I'll bring up the text there a little bit, kind of emphasize this. If you look there at verse 5, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world. All right, some Jews are leaving to follow Christ, but but that that is kind of an, an exaggeration. Um, he did create a dissension between the Jew, the Sanhedrin, no, sorry, Sadducees and the Pharisees, but that was already present though. A ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that's the way they're assigning his actions towards, but it's it's false. He even tried to profane the temple. Remember, there was some accusations that Paul would bring Gentiles within the holy spot of the holy place of the temple, and that was that was false as well. Um, so I think those three things were there was no truth to those charges. I, I would agree with that. I think it's a good assessment there. Um, who are the witnesses, Tom, for the prosecution here? Well, yeah, uh, for, they were the they would have been the Jewish leaders. They had come down from Jerusalem, and they were they were uh, they were the ones who wanted to get rid of Paul. Um, sure, I don't I don't know if some of those uh, if some of them were were hungry because they were on a, a fast, uh, but uh, uh, but whatever the case, I mean that's who you have. Do you leader. think maybe they're so grouchy because they still haven't eaten? Yeah, because some they of them said, possibly. Yeah, yeah I wonder said, if some of them were there. Yes, they said we won't eat until uh, Paul is dead. Uh, remember that from our previous study. So uh, maybe we joke just a little bit. Uh, as I look at this, certainly that it, we read about Ananias being there, and also in verse twenty-nine, the Jews also assented, maintaining these things were so. So. When you have the accusation made, and we realize it is not an accurate accusation, not an accurate description of what was going on, but there were lots of Jews there who were saying, well, yeah, that's exactly right. And so they bring in this orator, uh, this person who, who can use, the, use his language skills, use his speaking ability to bring about this uh, controversy. And there's people who will agree with him. And we also read there about... Uh, Felix would like to hear from Lysias. 
Uh, we'd like to hear from a Roman uh, regarding this to see what the charges are, what what they're what they're going to be. I, I threw a question in here. Is there any validity to any of the accusations? I think maybe there is a little bit of validity, uh, only to the extent of Paul was part of a dissension, and whenever he would teach the truth and people didn't like it, that was going to stir things up, but certainly not as described in this chapter. Uh, I think, Tom, you said a moment ago that there was dissension, but it wasn't uh, all Paul's fault. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's why I said gross exaggerations. You could look at the various things that happened, you know, being described as a, a, a plague, the idea of a plague being trouble, sick, you, you know, a sickness that, that causes a lot of distress in a community. And obviously that's the, that's the way it's used here. Uh, and then, I, and then you know, you make the point, uh, yes, dissension. I mean, dissension occurred, but Paul, Paul didn't create it. You know, all he did was teach the truth. Um, uh, he was a leader, but he was not a ringleader. And, and so there's a difference there uh, from that standpoint. Well, clearly, he was, he was an apostle. So, you know, he was a leader, you know, you know, called by Christ to lead. But the idea, the implication of a ringleader is, you know, he's stirring up all this trouble and that's not happening. Uh, he went to the temple. Now, that trying to profane the temple, that's nothing but a lie. You know, th th that one's an outright lie. And, uh, and and so on. And, and then the exaggerations continue when they say, you know, we wanted to judge him by our law. We wanted to take him out, stone him to death. But but Olysseus wouldn't let that happen. Oh, that's right. And so uh, I appreciate you, you explaining more and more of that, Tom. That's very good. And we had a question for the chat room a moment ago, uh, and that was, can you think of any reason to wait five days? And I think we did have a response there. We have a response from Gregor, Gregor Hinckley. And he said they descended, descended possibly to Caesarea. Uh, plus they had to get their story straight. It is 70 miles to Jerusalem. So I don't know how long in those days it would take uh, to travel that kind of a distance. But certainly there's a good point there that there was some travel involved. Uh, some of the folks I read about this said that they were kind of letting Paul sweat for a bit. Uh, and, and that's a tactic that's been used often by the people who would have someone captive and want to get a confession out of them, uh, is that they maybe let, just let them sit and, and sweat for a little bit. Let them stew. And so uh, I don't know if that's the case. That, that would be conjecture. I'm not trying to say that the scriptures say that. What the scripture says is that they waited uh, those five days and and Tom also just commented the uh, same thing that uh, Gregor did say, is that they had to get their story straight. They had to get Tortullus uh, on board and had to get him uh, up to speed and get what he was going to say all down and that, oh, yes, we're going to amen that. We're going to, we're going to agree with what he has to say. Well, let's go on and let's look at verse 10. I called that section the accusation. But in verses 10 through 21, we see the defense. And I was going to see if it would be convenient for John to read Acts 24, 10 through 21, as we see the defense that Paul lays out. And so well, just set this up. We, we've had the assembly come together. We've had Tertullus make his accusation. And as we see that, and we're also going to see now that Paul is allowed to speak. John, would you be able to read that? Yes, we can sure do that. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple, disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with the mob nor with the tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object, if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me, while I stood before the council, 
unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Very good. So Paul actually quotes himself, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, we have a chat room question, and again, we normally have uh, more of us who are involved in this, but I'll try to drop that in. It should already be there, Paul. Oh, I apologize. Uh, and so what is Paul's attitude about this trial? And so we'll take a look at that as we study together. And maybe someone, Gregor, or one of the other viewers there would like to answer that. What is Paul's attitude about having uh, this trial after he's been sitting for uh, five days there? Uh we see there that they're waiting for Lysias, and, and that was mentioned uh, earlier. That that we see that uh, I jumped down a little bit. Let me let me back up a little bit. Uh, what is the theme of Paul's speech? That's what we wanted to talk about uh, here. Uh, and his speech seems to have a certain theme. He kind of gives a little twist there at the end. But what is the uh, the theme of this, Tom? What would how would you summarize it? I'm not sure Tom Tom heard me. Um, yeah, it's my my bandwidth is messing up. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah, basically the the theme of the the theme of Paul's speech is uh is I'm not guilty of the things they accuse me of, uh, um, but I do stand for Christ. And yeah. uh, and and he briefly. In a very, very brief way, he recount or he at least alludes to his conversion and, and various things associated with this preaching and teaching. I think that's very good, Tom. Uh, when, when you think about this and, and you look at at the um, the general theme of what Paul says, he's been charged. The charges against you are, and here Tertullus has, has brought those forth in a very eloquent manner, uh, not a truthful manner, but a very eloquent manner. And we see there that Paul... Uh, says his plea is, if it was in our modern day courts, his plea is not guilty. There's no evidence of this. Uh, I suppose that if it was in our court system, uh, he would have charged, uh, he would have called that the uh, charges be immediately dismissed. There's no validity. There's no evidence uh, to back up what they are saying. And so uh, it's, it was interesting to me when I read this, that they, they found me in the temple they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd. He says uh, he wasn't in the synagogues or in the city. Uh, they can't prove this. Uh, and so it's very, uh, very interesting as you look at this. And so he does talk about his conversion a little bit. But I think the, the bottom line is not guilty. And yeah. uh, that, that's a great, great description of that. Go ahead, John. Well, Paul, this is why I said a while ago that the, the charges against him were essentially all false. And then he's walking through each one of these. You know, I was only in Jerusalem 12 days. I wasn't there long enough to cause trouble. They didn't find me messing around disputing with anybody or exciting the, inciting the crowd. Um, sure, I worship the God, you know, of the way, the sect that they, that they call a sect. And, yeah, he just he comes to a full-on defense. And it's interesting because it tells us what the way Paul saw it, what Paul was actually doing and he goes all the way back to the instance that caused the issue when he caused the division between the Sanhe- between the Sadducees and the Pharisees it was that statement that caused it and then it's a downhill and that was the only only issue yeah and he Absolutely. wasn't guilty I, yeah i think that he's not guilty and he does bring it back around to that that's interesting because those accusing him would have agreed with his final statement. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead, uh, or agreed with his assertion that there is a uh, resurrection. Uh, they would have had a hard time uh, yeah. opposing that particular teaching. Paul here speaks about the law and the prophets, uh, and, and this is in verse 14. Uh, he says, I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I thought that was an interesting statement there uh, in verse 14 as we look at that. And I had asked a question that I'll I'll go ahead and answer. Uh, What is Paul's view of the law and the prophets? 
he believed them. He believed that they pointed uh, in every way toward what Paul stood for. He believed that his life was in harmony with what the law and the prophets taught was was coming and came through Christ. And so I, I think that that is significant that here they might accuse him of opposing the law, profaning the temple. Uh, he says, no, he says, uh, I believe the law. I believe the prophets and I am part of this way because of my great faith uh, in them, uh, in what the prophets and what the law has said. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, remember remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount early on. He made the point there in Matthew 5. I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And, and, and basically the message that Paul was teaching, as we know from all of his letters, is the, the, God, the law has been fulfilled. Jesus is the one that you were looking for. And, and so the law and the prophets were pointing toward this. Yeah, and exactly. so that, that's a that's a great point there, Tom. Tom, since you're you're back with us now, uh, what was Paul's manner and purpose when he had entered the temple? They had accused him of profaning the temple. Uh, what was his manner of entering and his purpose in entering? Well, uh, his 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 manner was with respect, and. And and his purpose was to to basically show that you know I'm not out here to destroy you all. I, you know I'm not out here to to uh, uh, to pick a fight with you all. I, I'm I'm uh, he, he went there to fulfill a vow. You know, so he was basically still holding on to Jewish customs. You know, to show that you know I'm I'm not opposed to that. Uh, that's exactly right. And he talks about there how he didn't incite a, uh, any kind of problem or anything like that. He, he, that, that was not his uh, manner in coming before them. In fact, we see a little later on, it says, In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor a tumult. Uh, yeah. And so uh, Paul says, this just was not the case. Uh, what I'm being accused of is not the case. And so... In this case, you can bring forth your best speaker. You can bring forth all the Jews who are just going to back up his story. You can bring forth the high priest. Uh, but this is not what happened. Uh, it, it is not uh, an accurate description in any way uh, of those events that I'm being accused of, you'd say. Uh, John, uh, why does Paul mention the resurrection twice in this short speech? And by the way, uh, I see there in verse 21, he quotes himself. And then a little earlier, and I'm scrolling back. Uh, in verse 15, he says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Can you see any kind of a uh, a tactic, uh, not, not in a bad way, but just how Paul would use this truth to help his situation? Paul, I think so. Um, the statement that you referenced in verse 15 where he references the writings in the Law and the Prophets, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there'll be a resurrection of the dead. Paul acknowledges that the Law and the Prophets, those prophets especially, if that's the subject within the discussion here, believed in the resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. So it would stand to reason then that as he's pulling this on down in this particular discussion here, that he makes the point that it's the same belief that got this whole thing started. They believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. He says, concerning the resurrection of the day, I am being judged by you this day. That was his statement that got them all fired up. Um, he said, I believe the same thing the prophets did. Moses did. Our forefathers believed in this, and so do I. And that's why I was being judged that day. It's almost like he's aligning himself uh, to some extent with his accusers saying, you're accusing me of yeah. teaching something that you believe and that that caused trouble. Uh, Tom, yeah, you, I, I see some comments coming through from you, and I, I can't read those as we go along. So why don't you just go ahead and speak for yourself? Yeah. You know, I was going to say, when Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead, you know, it, it's the one thing that it, it uh, from a standpoint, at least with the Pharisees, you know, they believe that there was a resurrection. But what Paul is talking about also sets it apart, sets him apart from his accusers. Because 
uh, you can't ignore in this statement concerning the resurrection of the dead the fact that he's preaching that Jesus did arise from the dead, which they denied or which they refused to accept. And so you've got that distinction. And and uh, in our pre-show discussion, you know, talk, we talked, we we're talking about the significance of the resurrection. You know, our our faith depends on the resurrection. Christianity depends on the resurrection. The resurrection sets Christianity apart from every other world religion, every other world view. Uh, if you believe in the resurrection, by definition, uh, you're accepting Christianity, and, and uh, I'm using that in a broad sense there. So it is extremely important to, to understand, and, and, I, and I think that that's associated with Paul's observation, though he doesn't use that wording he doesn't mention Jesus raised in this text. They believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. Exactly. So, so uh, I think I think you're right about that. So, uh, but, but Paul's Paul's pretty wise. He's pretty shrewd in doing this, and, and I think that, that's to his advantage to bring up to continue to bring up the resurrection. Now, back to our chat question. That's part of our uh, discussion today, and I think we do have a couple of answers th about this. And, and the question is, what is Paul's attitude about this trial? And it looks like Gregor Hinckley has given us a couple of things. He says, Paul seems to, some, uh, seems to be upfront about his behavior and recounts that they are lying about their own actions as well as these people, uh, as well as these people were not present at any of the events that they speak of. So they say, well, it's true, but they weren't there to know. Uh, very good. So he's upfront, he's honest. And then Gregor also says Jews from Asia uh, were there, not the high priest and, and all the others. And so I think that's a, a great, uh, great point there, Gregor, that you make. You know, he also says at the very beginning of this, and I'm going to back up and look at verse uh, 10. Uh, he says that he is cheerfully answering for himself. And so I thought that was interesting. And as much as I know that you have been uh, for many years, a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. And so Paul is glad to be there, to be able to give this honest answer, to be able to set the record straight. I think those are all good things. And I appreciate Gregor interacting with us as we study together. Yeah. Let's go ahead and look at our last section, uh, Acts 24, 22 through 27. And I'll go ahead and read that uh, since there's just three of us. Uh, the scripture says there, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. After some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent, uh, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left all bound. Our question on this section for the chat, those watching online, is what did Felix learn from Paul? That might not be the same as what did Paul try to teach Felix, so we'll see. Uh, what did Felix learn from Paul? And so, Tom, I'll come back around to you. Uh, here's Lysias, the commander. We're assuming he's the one who incarcerated Paul. Remember back when uh, Paul was uh, had to let them know that he was a Roman citizen, and they called for the commander, and that whole uh, series of events took place? Why, why, why does Felix suggest that they wait for Lysias to be brought? He's a witness. And... Uh... Number one, he's a witness. Number two, he's been accused. Uh, uh, if uh, you may recall in our previous section there, among the things that were said 
among the accusations that were made uh, is we wanted to take care of him by our own law. Uh, but I'm trying to find the verse here. Uh, but basically he came and took them away from us and didn't let us take care of it. Yeah, he says with great force, I believe. Yeah, 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 with great force. So, you know what, you've, you've got somebody else that's being accused. And uh, if, if he waits for him, you know, he's going to get, you know what, let's hear his side of the story. He was there. Well, yeah, you have Paul's side and you have the Jews, their side, uh, these accusing Jews. And then, but you have a Roman in there too, who's part of the, the guard there and to find out what he has to say. And so I have to, uh, I don't give Felix much credit at all, but I do have to give him credit for at least holding out uh, to let the whole story be told. Uh, and so <laughs> Tom says he's a material witness and I, I, would, I would agree with that. Uh, when we look at this, what were the conditions, John, of the incarceration? By that, I don't mean it was a, a cold, dank place, but uh, he, he is being held. But what are what are this? What's the situation that that is provided for Paul as he is being, um, if you want to use jailed or just held held in custody? I guess would be a nice way to say it. Paul, it was a cold, dark place. <laughs> now. Uh... You'll notice there seems to be fairly comfortable. Uh, verse twenty in verse twenty three, so he commanded Centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty. Told him not forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Paul's a Roman citizen, not by purchase but by birth, and so until he's proven to be innocent, he needs to be treated with the utmost respect. Yeah, it does not use the word jail here. Uh, it also does not use the term house arrest, but that's what uh, Tom, I think, describes it uh, pretty yeah. well. I think that's right. And so instead of saying that he was in jail, I, I like the term that he was held in custody. Uh, he was not let go, uh, but he was not uh, closely uh, guarded either. We, and We might ahead. use the term released on his own recognizant or whatever the term is. Rec this, to some extent in that he... We read here that his friends could come and see him. They could bring him provisions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he wasn't wearing a, an ankle bracelet or anything, but but something similar to that maybe in that they were watching over him. His friends could come and see him. He couldn't leave, but his friends could come and see him. They could minister to him. They could bring supplies for him, things that he might need. And so uh, that, was a, that was a beneficial thing. So... Um, I'll, I'll take this next one. Uh, describe the other interaction that we have recorded between Felix, Paul and Felix. We actually have reference to, to multiple interactions, but the one that's described for us is a, as we look here and we see that uh, Felix's wife, Drusilla, was there. And so he called for Paul and they heard him about the faith. And we read how Paul reasoned with him about righteousness and uh, self-control and judgment. He talked to him about those things there. John put that up for us. I appreciate that there in verse 25. Uh, he reasoned with him about self-control, how to live his life, about righteousness. What's the right way to live and about judgment to come? We see uh, the right teaching, the right application, the right teaching about consequences of actions. And so this is something that Felix needed to hear. I would suspect it took a great deal of courage for Paul to give that kind of an interaction. But then we see that Paul kept uh, hoping that, or uh, excuse me, Felix kept calling for Paul from time to time and would hear him. It seems like he enjoyed uh, hearing from Paul, but maybe there were some other motives. John, uh, what two things, I, I saw two, you may see more than that. What two things at the end of this account show Felix to be a corrupt politician? Well, the main one that jumps out at me is seen in verse 26. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. He's wanting yeah. a bribe. Yeah, some sort of the bribe. Other one I, the other one that I saw that I thought was interesting, John, was there that uh, he has no reason to hold Paul. He doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem think that he's guilty, but he keeps him in custody for one reason. And that was he wanted to do the Jews a favor. 
Yeah. 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 And and the fact that it was for two years. I mean, I mean, the just just the length of the you know the length of the custody and so on is kind of an indication. But you so know, for whatever crime uh, here, he's already served two years, but he leaves him as Felix leaves office. He leaves him. I'm sorry, John. I stepped on your words there. No, I was all I was going to point out is we don't know this for certain, but two years without rent. Two years, you know, people would bring him food. Maybe, you know, he would maybe he buy, he was provided for by the state, by the, the state itself, Ro, the Roman government, because, they, you know, they brought charges to him. And whether or not Lysias ever came to talk about it, whether or not his accusers ever came, we never really know. But he's like someone left behind for the next guy to deal with. But he might have had free living here. Yeah, it, it occurs to me that probably Felix is a fence writer. He's yeah. not going to have Paul executed. He's not going to have him thrown into the darkest uh, part of the prison. But he's going to keep him in custody. And in the course of these events, he's never going to let him free. And so uh, he, he's not going to make the Jews angry by setting him free, but he's not going to also take this Roman citizen and handle him in some kind of a, a way that would get him in trouble in that direction either. He, he is definitely a, no. a fence writer. Our question from the chat, uh, and, and I'll be interested to see, do we have an answer? Yeah, yes. we do. Uh, uh, what did Felix learn from Paul? And our, our good friend Gregor, Gregor's a faithful watcher. We appreciate him being with us just about every week. And he says, Felix heard he was condemned. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come caused fear in Felix's heart. Not enough to follow the path, but to be afraid. It's interesting. He says, go away for now when I have what? A convenient time. A convenient season, I think the King James says. Uh, I'll call for you. Um, you know, I think that, that when we encounter folks who say, uh, not now, uh, another time would be better for me. Uh, I'm not going to obey the gospel now. I think that's such a dangerous thing. Uh, and we see here Felix. He would have Paul come back frequently, it sounds like. But we never read about him obeying the gospel. I think that would be a significant event uh, that we would hear about. And that idea of building up the callous on your heart, that you hear the truth and and you don't respond to it when it when it really gets to you. Uh, it's such a dangerous thing. Uh, but uh, someone has said that there's no more convenient time to obey the gospel than right when you hear it. And I suppose that that's the truth. He heard what was right. He heard about the changes he needed to make. Righteousness. The application of that righteousness. Self-control. He heard about the consequences of what he would do. Uh, whether obeying or whether not to. And... Uh, he just says, go away for now. And sometimes that happens when you're teaching folks. They just say, go away for now. Another interesting point to make about this, though, is that Paul kept coming back. Uh, he kept talking to Felix about those things. Uh, it says in the last sentence here, therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him. And so I find that to be an interesting uh, statement that... Uh, Paul's always willing to go back and to talk about the truth, talk about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Well, that's what I had for our study today. Uh, we've had a lot of good interaction, and I appreciate uh, everybody who has uh, engaged with us today. And I'm going to hand this back over to John as we wrap things up today. You know, Paul, one thing that came to mind as you were looking through this, and I appreciate you bringing out the point regarding you know, go away till I have a more convenient season. For years, and I remember as growing up hearing preachers preach, this is one of those passages that was a hot passage for a sermon. But there's something interesting, and you touched on it as well, and I appreciate that. When you look at the whole of the context, we make the assumption that this wasn't the only time that Paul talked with Felix. Yes, at that moment, Felix says, go away till I have a more convenient season. I'd suggest 26 tells us that he did have other convenient seasons. You know, Paul did converse with him. Maybe it was limited to, hey, you got some money for me and I'll let you go. Or maybe it was more about religious matters, you know. 
Um, but you, you know, know with a verse by verse study, oftentimes we will pick one verse out and build the whole argument on it and, and not really look at the context of it. You know, John, I, I think that's really good. I've, I've heard people make the, the, the comment here uh, and that we assign motives to sure. Felix. And, you know, I don't know. The Bible tells us what his motive was at that moment. Mm -hmm. He wanted money. But whether he ever called for Paul again and whether he was ever torn uh, between letting him go and keeping him, or whether he's ever torn between obeying the gospel yeah. or not, you know, the scripture really doesn't tell us that. Right. And, and, you know, we can't judge someone's heart. God knows the heart. Uh, we don't. And so when someone wants to talk about the scripture, we may say, oh, they're just whatever. They're, they're just wanting to, to argue or they're just wanting to, to have someone to talk to or, or whatever. Well, if someone wants to hear the gospel, we need to be willing to, to talk to them, interact with them. I think that you made a good point, John. Well, and, and think about and mutual um, complementary statements here. You made a good point. Uh, <laughs> um, something that came to mind with what you were talking about. We, this is all we know of Felix's story. There's more to stories, more to Felix's life than what we're told. So our judgment is, well, at this point, he didn't obey the gospel. And maybe he did later. We just don't know. And we can't make any assumptions. Think about Paul. Let's say we knew a little bit more about Paul's life before the road to Damascus. And then the biblical narrative stopped before the road to Damascus. Here we have Paul who saw to the stoning of Stephen. But did he ever obey the gospel? <laughs> Probably not. Here we have a man who saw a Christian be put to death and approved of it. That man's not going to be converted to the cause. But we know the rest of the story. So it's possible. And it and, and we and it's hard and we really shouldn't say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we'll assume not. We just don't know. You know? Yeah, there's there's a great lesson here and uh, one that, that I uh, it's a soapbox I get on sometimes is that we tend to judge who will will and will not obey the gospel. Right. And uh, we like to go out and find people who uh, look like us, talk like us, and uh, have lifestyles very similar to ours. And we say, well, they'd hardly have to change anything to become a Christian. Long answer. And that's, that's the person we look at. And it's really the people whose lives are destroyed with sin who yeah. are more likely to be receptive to the gospel. But we can't know. Uh, we can't judge. Uh, I, I wrote an article a long time ago, and I, I'm not a good writer. Uh, I wish someone else would write the same article and write it much better than me. But uh, I said, are we sowing the seed? Or are we landscaping? And when you read about the parable of the sower, you know, he, he's spreading the seed everywhere. And he doesn't just try to find the good ground. He spreads the seed everywhere. And uh, that, that's, that's interesting to me. And sometimes we want to say, well, this would look perfect right here. Like if you're landscaping out in front of your house, this shrub would be perfect here. This rose bush would look nice here. And we try to judge, you know, who will and who will not hear, who will fit in with our group. And we ought to yeah. just be preaching the word. That's true. That's true. Tom, did you have a comment or something you want to jump in with? Yeah. You know, uh, um, you know it goes along. I totally agree with everything that has been stated here. Uh, but I, I do think it's worthy of note that Felix is never mentioned as having obeyed the gospel. We don't know one way or the other, but it's kind of pretty clear that for at least two years he didn't do it. Right. You know, it, it, in, spite, in spite of hearing Paul. Now, what happened later on after this, you know, who knows? But, but, uh, but, but uh, you know, and the way, the way that I would state it, because I think that this is a good lesson to tell somebody, don't put it off. Mm -hmm. uh, because because uh, we we all know from experience and, and all of us were old enough that we've seen it. If you are convicted and you put it off today, it's going to be easier to put off tomorrow. And if you put it off tomorrow, it's going to be even easier to put it off the next day. So yeah. so I mean, uh, the, therein is the challenge with putting it off. And so I, I would look at him I, and I, the way I make this statement is there is no indication that he ever obeyed it. Maybe he did, but there's right. nothing that says that he did. We, Correct. But you, you can't say, we can't say he yeah. never did. Yeah. But the Bible doesn't record his conversion. Exactly. There, there are a number of prominent people in scripture that I wonder 
yeah. whatever happened to them. Yeah. Nicodemus is one. I wonder whatever happened. You know, he was not a totally corrupt Pharisee. Uh, and I think about Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, I I wonder whatever happened to him. You know, he was prominent. Yeah. And uh, we just we don't have that recorded for us. John, I wanted to mention something else, if I could, that's unrelated to the study today. And that is that probably in the months of November and December, we're going to be looking at having some studies that may uh, be more of a topical nature. And maybe you have a question or you have a topic that you'd really like to see our panel discuss in a Truth Factor discussion broadcast. And if you do that, if you would send that to us at questions at truthfactor.com. Uh, or excuse me, questions at truthfactorlive.com. I think either one will work actually, but yeah. questions at truthfactorlive.com. Maybe you have a question that you would like uh, to hear us address. We would like to address that. Or maybe you have a, a topic that's just really of great interest to you. And we'd love to be able to talk about things that, the, what the Bible says about those things. And so we'll probably have some, a little break during those couple of months and some of us could address some of those questions. Thanks, John. Thank you, Paul. I'm hitting the wrong buttons there. <laughs> That's right. We anticipate being done with Acts by the last Wednesday in October. And so that'll give us three weeks in November and three weeks in December. So definitely let us hear from you. Well, that's all for our study today. Thank you so much for joining us for our study. Always remember to uh, contact us if you have any questions or thoughts. And if you're watching this at a later time, that goes for you as well. We'd love to hear from you. Our next study, will be looking at Acts chapter 25, will be next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. In the Eastern Time Zone, that will be at noon. 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. That's right here at live dot truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.